Morning. Thanks, Sof. Um, good to see you all. Thanks, Paul and Joe and Puma. Good job. Um, yeah, just really quickly, uh, Davis mentioned Nua. Um, today, uh, today, day tickets will be released for Nua. So if the weekend is something you can't commit to, um, but you're still wanting to get to some of it, um, you can do that. Uh, and I know it's a ways away yet, but um, the Sunday is free. There'll be a church picnic. And uh, so like we did um, like we did last year when Nua was on, we'll do the same again this year, uh, where we'll encourage you all to come and be part of the last, the last day of Nua on the Sunday. Um, have a picnic together. But that's... It feels like a long way away, but if you're interested, please, um, please go searching on the searching on the new website if you can. If you want to know more information, come and speak to somebody. Um, yeah, good to be together this morning. Um, anybody know what big something happened? Some it was a big day this week. Anybody know what it was? School kids, I'm looking at you. Good boy, Isaac. World Book Day. Um, World Book Day. I don't know what fall the schools were the same, but our school, Hardy, uh, did uh, were selling books all week, and um, and so it was good. They got they got to go and, and look around the books, and the school was able to give them a one pound uh, voucher off uh, whatever book they wanted. It was a really good idea. So so many. So many books were sold. So it was great to see. I got I had the privilege of helping out on the Monday. It was a bit manic, but it was good fun. Um, all these kids handed their tokens and so excited about reading that filled me with joy. And um, helping out on the Monday, it was it was weird because I couldn't believe it, but Moses came in. Moses walked in with this big mass this big massive stick, um, and asked me, "Do you get money off for having?" A big stick, and I said, Moses, I'm sorry, there's no staff discount. <laughs> Andrew, there was a few genuine laughs there. I don't think you needed that one. <laughs> I was thinking that through this morning in the in the coffee area, and just was giggling away to myself because I just found it so funny. So. Um, because of how funny I found it, I was like so invested in it. Um, so over the last number of months, as you know, we've been talking about how we steward what has been given to us. Um, and again, for every one of us, no matter who we are, from the youngest, uh, who's the youngest, little Will maybe, from the youngest to the oldest, I'm not going to do who's the oldest, um, but every one of us, no matter what nation we came from, love that there's so many nations, love that there's so many cultures and backgrounds, but every one of us made in the image of God. Like of all the things I want people to know, <laughs> um, when they leave here on a Sunday, or know whenever they're part of this, is you're all made in the image of God and incredibly loved by him. So where you sit right now, he could not love you any more than he does right now. And, um, and that's 
probably the two of the most important things. And the two of the most important, the, the two things that unite us all, as I say, no matter who we are, where we came from. And I'm convinced that all of us have been entrusted with, with lots of stuff. We've been entrusted with what we do with our time, what we do with our treasure, what we do with our talent. And even as we sang that song, I just, it just became so aware as we were singing that last song, the weak made strong. Just became so conscious of the, like, to be being brought into the kingdom of God means that everything is turned upside down. Everything is different. And so all that we're talking about over the last number of weeks and we'll continue to talk about, it's, it's almost the complete opposite of everything that we, that we see valued and everything that we see as being successful throughout our week. We were reminded being part of the kingdom means everything is upside down. And so how we invest and steward our time and our talent, our treasure is probably so much different than every, everything else that you've been that you've seen this week or everything else that in our world has, um, has consumed us. And so Luke chapter 16 is, uh, Luke chapter 16 is, I want to look at a few verses here this morning. Um, just so you know, it's like, maybe not look at them all, but just so many different places that I want to look at this morning. Um, I'm also conscious that maybe some of, what, what, I, what, what I'll share this morning is going over ground that we've already covered in the last two weeks. Um, so forgive me for that, but there's just a few other things that I really felt were important for us, um, important f- for us to say, for important for us to think about. Um, so Luke chapter 16, if you can, if, you've, if you get space this afternoon, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter of Luke 16. Well, let me just pick up from verse 10. Jesus tells this parable, really interesting parable, and then as he begins to communicate some sort of meaning attached to it, this is what he says. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And maybe some of your versions will say uh, mammon. This idea of mammon, worldly worldly things, worldly pleasures. Um, And so again, we're not saying that money in itself is wrong or money in itself is evil. But we have been, and I hope you've heard it over the last couple of weeks, we're mostly concerned with our heart relationship towards it. Um, and so as we, if we were to engage with the whole of the Gospels, we'll see that there is lots of parables that have to do with money. And again, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, this is, I think it's important um, that we say this. I think um, you ask the question, why is, why, is, why is there so many parables have to do with money? And I think it is because, again, as I've said last week, it is the test case 
money is the test case of what's going on in your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. You want to find where your heart is at, follow the treasure. Follow where your devotion is, follow where you place most value on. And so again, this is important. You cannot serve both God and money. It competes with God for our devotion. We are devoted to where our treasure is. And I think it's really important that we keep asking these questions. They are really, if you're willing to fully engage in this, it is really provocative. I have found them really provocative to be asking the question, what is it that drives your life? What is it that consumes your devotion? And I think it is important that we take the challenge of some of these parables that Jesus tells. If we are untrustworthy, if we are untrustworthy with what we have been given, if we be untrustworthy with worldly wealth, how can we be expected to be trusted with the riches of heaven, is what the New Living Translation puts it. The challenge for me this week particularly has been as recognizing not only here in the stories that Jesus tells in the Gospels, but as I think about the people, uh, the people who I think of as being most, maybe even most influential, most influential in terms of the kingdom. Um, and they are people that have learnt and clearly steward money well. I think influence in the kingdom is related to generosity. And so if we want to have influence, to varying degrees, and not, not everybody wants to be, not everybody wants platforms, or, but that's not what influence is about about um, making Jesus known. It's about influencing your family and people around you with the good news of Jesus. And influence in the kingdom is definitely related to generosity. It's definitely related to how you steward money. And I, please don't hear me ever, this is a, like a stepping stone to getting a bit bolder over these last couple of weeks. And this is not a threat, or this is not a scare tactic, but again, just let you in on my, on my week, let you in on how this is provoking me. I recognize that we are going to answer for the life that we've lived. I haven't felt that as a, it's not, that's not a threat. I'm not saying, like, you need to listen to me because you're going to have to give an answer to God. But the truth is, we are. We're going to give an answer to the life that we've lived. And so this is not a threat or anything to do with salvation i'm not speaking about salvation here but it's it's a, it is a question of what we've done with our salvation it is a question we will give an answer for what we've done with what has been entrusted to us and so again please i can't say it anymore please don't hear that as threat if we end up giving time talent and treasure because of threat then our heart is dis disconnected completely and so there's probably two areas that I want, wanted for us to consider today. Because I think that there's, there could be still hindrances based on what's going on around us, based on what's going on in our world that could bring hindrances. Where are the hindrances to generosity? This again has been helpful for me just to begin to consider where I get this. I understand that this... If, that there is 
something that is competing with my, uh, there's something competing with God for my devotion. Recognize that I'm devoted to where my treasure is. I'm wanting to begin to ask the question, where are, where are the, those hindrances to generosity? And I think one of them, and this mightn't apply to us all, but I think one of them is around motivation. And maybe, not that I'm going to talk necessarily about a lack of motivation, but maybe that is the case for some. Maybe it's just a lack of motivation. Just like, I don't want to. But I think there could also be a wrong motivation. And so again, without, without boring us <laughs> to go into the, um, the Old Testament law, and I think that's where a lot of our teaching, if you've been around the church for long enough, like I'd be interested to hear from you. I, like I think um, so much of the teaching, so much of the common teaching in churches that we, maybe most of us have heard is to follow the Old Testament law of the tithe. The Old Testament law of the tithe, which was to give 10% to the, essentially it was a, it was a Israelite temple tax. It was 10% that was to, to be given for the priesthood and for the sacrificial system to keep, to keep going. And so for us today, that's difficult because that's not the case for us now. There's no, there's, we're no longer supporting a sacrificial system. There's no... There's no temple for us to give our tithe to. So we have to rethink the law in the light of the New Testament. Essentially, we have to rethink the law in the light of Jesus. And so again, when it comes to this idea of motivation, I want to remind you what I've said over and over. If our heart is disconnected from our giving, then you have to ask the question, what's the point? Your heart is disconnected from this. It is... What's the point? And maybe it's because of a wrong motivation. Give because that's been the common teaching. And I wonder if there's just another way for us to look at. And again, we've been hopefully talking a wee bit around that over the last couple of weeks. But when it comes to this idea of following the Old Testament law, we read in Galatians 3, and if I can just read this, Quickly, um, what then is the purpose of the law? Galatians 3 verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come, meaning Jesus. Um, verse 21, is the law opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. But if the law had been given, if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith come, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge uh, to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. All of, reading all of that to say, faith has come, the promised one has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The law was given, I think it seems to say here, to demonstrate how impossible it was to live according to it. The law was given to show how impossible it was to live according to it, but it was given, it functioned, 
as a guardian. I think Galatians talks about that as well. It was functioned as a guardian in order to lead us to Jesus. And, um, and so 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 4, I think Tamar has these verses. Uh, are we beginning, Paul speaking to the church, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, not written written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. The law functioned to lead us to Jesus. And, um, and the reality is that Jesus calls us to a greater standard than the law. Jesus calls us to a greater standard than the law. The standard is Jesus. Standard is Jesus. And I, you, you, you think, how is that possible? And then you read verses in Romans and other places where we're reminded that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. The spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of the Living God. Not it's no longer in tablets and stone, but it's written here. It's written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God. It's no longer in tablets and stone, but it's on the tablets of the human heart. And so if you're following with me here, if you're able to follow this, what I'm trying to say is that the motivation is no longer external, but it's internal. If our motivation to give is external. I want to suggest that it's a wrong motivation. The motivation is internal. And I think actually Jesus would suggest that the motivation is internal, but it's also eternal. Because Jesus says, it's Matthew 6, that Jesus says, don't store up treasure where moth and rust can destroy it, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So even, even the motivation to give is not just internal, but it is eternal. And so I would love it in my own life, in my own, in my own journey with Jesus, in my own recognition that everything in the kingdom is completely different to what we see outside. Um, I want to get to the place where it's not that I, that I got to, but I get to. I don't want my motivation to give to be that I have to do this. I've got to follow some law. I want to do it because of, because of what is going on inside. I want to do it because I get to do it. I get to give. And it's verses, it's, it's parts of uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians that, 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 has, me, that has me so um, enthused in a way because here is where you recognize where the compelling comes from. There's probably everything in, within me. Like I'm so frugal and tight at times that it, like this, to, get, to go from a got to to get to is a big deal, but it's really important. The compelling comes from God. The, the love of Christ, Paul says, the love of Christ compels. And so 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 is where, where we want to look at for that, or where I would love you to look at. We don't have time this morning. But it was the love of Christ that compels, and Paul goes on to say that it so compelled him and so compelled those that were getting caught up in the story of the gospel and the good news of the kingdom that they would no longer live for themselves. 
And that's what happens when our motivation becomes internal. We're not doing it to follow a law. We're not doing it to tick a box. We're doing it because the love of Christ compels us. We're doing it because we recognize that we, can, we should no longer live for ourselves. And if the compelling comes from him, it is joy and not threat. And so a law-driven law mindset fosters what is the least that I can give. And I, I want to suggest to you that love, the way of love, the way of grace fosters uh, how much do I need to keep? Like how much can I give away? Law is what is the least that I can give? Love, I don't know exactly what the question here is, but something along the lines, what is the most I can give maybe? Completely, it, it almost just turns everything on its head. And if we're being true to the wisdom of Scripture, I want to suggest to you if we're being true to the flow of the gospel narratives, the letters of Paul, the question is, how can I give more? The question is, how can I give more? I'm suggesting that to you. I would like, what do you think? The wisdom of Scripture. If we were to take the wisdom of Scripture and the flow of the gospel story, it would suggest that it's asking us how can I give more? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Um, again, offers us it's almost these expectations of following Jesus. It's almost the expectations of this upside-down nature of the kingdom. Do not judge. Where everything within us, everything with outside of the kingdom would, would tell us the opposite, but the the expectations of following Jesus. Luke 6, verse 37. Do not judge and do not condemn and forgive and give. The expectations of following Jesus. And verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured um, into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. For pursuit is to look more like Jesus. There's verses like this. The flow of the gospel narratives would suggest strongly that we become more like Jesus when we give. We become more like Jesus when we exercise sacrificial love, which includes and is not, but is not limited to money, not limited to our possessions. We become more like Jesus when we give. We become more like him when we do not judge, when we do not condemn, when we forgive. We become more like him when we exercise sacrificial love. And then again, just reading verses that we've already read before. But just sometimes when you read them over and over, you just get caught up. And they can either just go over your head because you become so familiar with them, or they can just keep on grabbing your heart. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each man and woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, speaking of wrong motivation, for God loves a cheerful giver. It was just this language, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Sometimes I think we just... We, we pull those verses out 
But the, those verse, that, that verse is in the context of being able to give. That verse is in the context of um, sowing generously. And so it's in light of that that God, God says, Peter says that God loves a cheerful giver. And in your cheerful giving, it says that all he was then able to make all grace abound to you. I think that, that that's there's a there's a depth there that I can't even plumb, but whatever it is, I want grace to abound to me. I want all grace to abound to me and all things at all times, having all that I need and abounding in every good work. But it feels to me that Paul is suggesting that as in relation to your heart's connection to giving and your cheerfulness in how you give. And it's why that I've talked a number of times about first fruits. It's why the first fruits is so challenging to me. And so when everything within me wants to wait until wait until the diary's full and then I'll slot in some sacrificial love or whatever. Whenever my, whenever I've paid everything, when I've bought all my stuff, when I've paid my Netflix subscription, when I've done all of that, I will then, that's, that's the temptation. That's why this first fruit stuff is really important. I think it's become so important because first fruits requires an act of faith and it requires an act of worship. It's, it's, it's really hard to, it's really hard for it to become an exercise in faith when you're waiting till they, to see what you have at the end. It's really hard for it to become an act of worship. It's really difficult for it to be an act of worship when it's just the remains that you have left to offer. That's a challenge to me, and I am um, just letting you in on how this, is, how this is being worked out in my own heart and life. If I give what is left at the end, where is faith and how is it worship? I've been provoked with that question personally and I'm, and I'm offering it to you because I hate being provoked and challenged on my own. It's so much easier whenever you're able to do it with other people. Look, chapter 14. Um, again, Jesus is in the home of a prominent Pharisee. And he was being watched. And, um, and Jesus recognizes that this prominent Pharisee has welcomed in the, the best of the best, the elite. And Jesus has some challenging words to the host. When you give a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I'm sure that again, it's, I think there's a practical challenge in there for us, but it's also a re reminder that why we're talking about this is not so that we can get more, the church can get more money out of people. My motivation has flipped on this. I'm, I'm trying to be more bold in how we talk about this 
because I'm desperate for you to live in the blessing of God. And so if what Jesus is challenging the, this host with is right, Jesus is saying, invite, like get, offer, give yourself sacrificially. Give in such a way that it is not transactional. So much of our, so much of times of our, our hospitality can be transactional. We panic because somebody has invited us for dinner and we haven't invited them back yet. We are awful people. But almost to get rid of that transactional mindset, to um to just to be able to give, to be able to offer ourselves sacrificially, and you will be blessed. We're talking about living in the blessing of God. And so if if and I finish with this for a couple of minutes, because uh, there's maybe loads of other hindrances, and I would love I love us to be bold enough and uh, honest enough to be able just to, to call them out and within our friendships, within our families. Um, but if if one is like a a lack of motivation or a wrong motivation, I think the other hindrance can be our our modern attachment to possessions. And I'm not even wanting to dwell on that because I'm really wanting us to work that out for ourselves. I don't want to make people feel guilty, but I do think it is really strong advice, whether it's in a church setting or it's just in any setting. I think we need to be really conscious of our attachment to our stuff. Inevitably, that is a hindrance to generosity. Whenever, you, whenever we think, and we've said this before, whenever you believe, whenever you believe that everything is yours, whenever you have a mine mentality, it is really difficult to be generous. It's really gener- difficult to be generous with your time and your talent and your treasure whenever you believe, whenever you think, or even when you just live in a way that you're convinced that it's all mine. So that's the challenge for us. Whenever it comes to looking through your bank account, when it comes to looking through your schedule. Obviously, it requires wisdom, but I think it requires us being honest. Like, does this belong to me? Or do I truly believe that it all belongs to Jesus? Everything is a gift from him. All of this is from Jesus. If we believe that truly, then I think it removes one of the hindrances to generosity, removes one of the hindrances to um, to giving, to living sacrificially, to loving sacrificially. And so I would encourage you that you would, when it comes to what it is that you decide in your heart, to use the language of Paul, what it is that you decide in your heart to give, that you would plan it, that you would, I would even encourage you that you would budget for it. And I, I know people do that. I just want to remind you that it's just a, it is good practice. I would love it if you're willing to ask questions about your luxuries. Like I'm not, I'm not, although I, I, I'd be cautious here because my default is being frugal and all of that, and I never want people to feel guilty. But I do think it is, no matter whether you're frugal or not, people ask questions about, do I need that? People are be really honest about your possessions and your stuff. And said, do I really need that? Again, please don't hear me. Please don't feel guilty, condemned. But what does seeking first the kingdom look like with your time? And what does seeking first the kingdom look like with your treasure?
What does seeking first the kingdom look like with your finances? And so whenever it talks about being cheerful givers, like the reality is that that does not mean, like hear me, this, that does not mean that it's not going to pinch. <laughs> that does not mean that it's not going to cost, that it's not going to hurt. It will. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. There can be an element of joy. There can be an element of giving cheerfully. But it's still going to hurt. It's still going to call you to carry up your cross. It's still going to cause you to count the cost. And all of that is whether we're talking about time, talent, or treasure. So I just would be wanting to encourage you in light of the big picture, in light of seeking first the kingdom, is there a way that we can, you can modify your life in order to give more? Because I think that is the wisdom of Scripture. I think it is the flow of the gospel story. And so if you're not giving... Like, pray about it. That would be my first thing. Decide in your heart what it is that you want to give. It's really easy to give an external, and, and some people work on that, and that's fine. But really easy to give you a motiva- uh, an external motivation to give, but the New Testament doesn't give us a percentage, doesn't give us an amount. It asks you to pray. It asks you to work this out. And so if you're not giving, can I encourage you to pray? And to maybe start, if you are already giving, can I encourage you to pray? And if that means giving more, you could do that. Yeah, so I'm conscious conscious of saying this. I I would, if I was recommending you what to do, I think there is strong, strong precedent for giving to the local church. But I would want to say to you, find a church that you trust to steward well what you're giving, and I would love it that it would be here. But if it's not, I think it is really important that you give, and it's really important that you trust the church that you are giving to. Uh, Really quickly, um, this is a bit of a thing for online. I know online giving became a dominant way for most churches to receive offerings and tithes, over over COVID, the challenge for me is that that it can be just become a bit lazy. Maybe that sounds a bit strong, a bit harsh, but I just you just realise that your heart can become disconnected whenever you set up a standing order to come out the first before everything else does. But you can still become your heart can still become detached from that. My challenge is to pray. My challenge again to myself is. Where is the act of faith here? Where is the act of worship? Um, and so I honestly, I know, I know I say this every week, and I hope it doesn't just go over the top of your head, but this is something I, I would just continue to love us to, to wrestle through together. It's the love to be wrestling through the other hindrances to generosity. I know there's probably so much more we could say. So much more parables that we could delve into, and um, so much more encouragement and challenge from the letters of Paul 
There's so much we could talk about throughout church history and people that are um, generous kingdom influencers. Maybe my last encouragement to be would be to get around those people. Because generosity begets generosity. It's contagious. So if this is something that you're challenged by, I'd encourage you to get around people who you know are generous and learn from them. Um, so Paul's going to come. Paul's going to come and lead us in one last song. Uh, but again, if there's anything that is not of the Spirit, ignore it, forget about it. If you feel just a prompting of the Lord in some of this, uh, let's, let's talk. Um, if you want to push back on something that I've said, please do. I would love it. Um, just committed to learning and growing together. Paul led us in worship and then David will pray for us.